0: All things are possible, and you can be, authentically, gay with the God of your understanding. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Gay with God podcast and I'm so happy that so many of you are resonating with this podcast because I love doing it. So whether you're listening or not, although I'm very grateful that you do, I'd probably be doing this because I love talking to my guests and I love hearing their stories. So today we have a wonderful guest. Elizabeth Jarrett Andrew is the author of the spiritual memoir, Swinging on the Garden Gate. Now in its second edition, She has also written the novel, Hannah Delivered, a collection of personal essays, On the Threshold, Home, Hardwood and Holiness, and two books on writing, Living Revision, A Writer's Craft as Spiritual Practice, winner of the Silver Nautilus Award, and Writing the Sacred Journey, The Art and Practice of Spiritual Memoir. She works independently as a developmental writing coach and teaches through Wisdom Ways Center for Spirituality, She is a recipient of two Minnesota State Arts Board Artist Fellowships, the LOFT Career Initiative Grant, and is a Minnesota Book Awards finalist. She lives in Minneapolis with her wife, daughter, and two rambunctious cats, of which I've already seen a glimmer of, and I love that. (laughs) You can connect with Elizabeth at www.spiritualmemoir.com and www.elizabethjarretandrew.com and I'll be putting those links on the show page. So Karen, uh, Karen, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, It's good to be Midge. Um, so <laughs> Elizabeth, welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here.
1: Well, thank you, Midge. It's good to be here. <laughs> so I, I want you to just
0: open yourself up and tell us your story because I'm already, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, I'm already halfway through your book and I only did it halfway because I wanted to pace myself, but I will finish it tonight because I love it that much. And um, so please just tell us your story.
1: Yeah. Well, I am a um, born and bred United Methodist and grew up in New York, just outside the city in sleepy hollow actually. And, um, and was raised to be, you know, a very good, <laughs> striving Methodist heterosexual <laughs> daughter, um, <clears throat> and really followed that path through college. I, you know, I went to college in the late '80s, and um, and was pretty oblivious to the whole queer movement. Um, Although I dated a guy for two and a half years and um, while I, you know, something wasn't quite right there, but, um, but it really wasn't until I was, um, I had moved up to Minneapolis and was looking around for a church and I knew instinctively that I needed to find a reconciling congregation. And um, in the United Methodist Church, the reconciling movement is the GLBTQA inclusive movement. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> so I, it, in part, just because of the politics of it, I that was important to me. But um, so I landed at a small university parish um, on a hill in Minneapolis, and um, and they were already. Uh, reconciling congregation, they already welcomed gays and lesbians. And one day I went to an adult forum where they were exploring, uh, um, broadening their inclusive welcome to in- include trans and bi folks. So they brought in this panel of, um, of people. And when the two bisexual panelists told their stories, my eyebrows skyrocketing <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh wait a minute there's a word for my experience i don't know how i had not managed to register bisexuality until then and so i was i was probably 23 at that age at that time so um so that was so the irony of all that is that i first heard the word bisexual in a way that it registered at church, um, which, you know, talk about a gift, you know, such, such a tremendous gift. Yes. So, so from there, I, it, it just opened up this interior possibility for me that had never been there before. And, um, and I had always had a really mystical connection to God growing up. I, you know, I was a kid who had powerful dreams at night that really made a difference to me. I had um, some mystical experiences, one on the swing, the tree swing in the backyard, kind of um but certainly in church growing up, I had a really strong sense of God's presence in my life and um, a strong connection to church communities. So um, so once I began questioning my sexual identity and um, revisiting my past and you know, kind of digging around through all of my memories, um, I, um, I got a very strong intuition again, that, um, that I would not be able to continue growing in my relationship with God until I came out. Mm. Um, so, so for me, the impulse to come out was not because I was in a partnership with a woman or, or even, um, even the the impetus to say something true about myself, it was like the the original one was the sense that my relationship with with God was gonna was stagnant and it was kind of frozen until I could um name this reality about about myself so um <clears throat> so about that time, and again, I was probably 20, 23, 22 or twenty three um I was at a church retreat and met someone who called himself a spiritual director and introduced spiritual direction to us as this means of companioning people of faith on their faith journey, and um, and that it you know explained that it kind of functioned like therapy, except that therapy usually is problem based and spiritual direction is really. About having a companion on your spiritual journey, and um, and that the director's job is not really direction at all, so much as it is um, a good question asker, or, you know, a good companion. So, um, <clears throat> so I got myself into spiritual direction, and with with really the sole intent to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And it was really the perfect place to test the waters of coming out. At least for me, I, you know, I landed in um, with a woman who was very loving and um, and while I think she made a few mistakes in terms of that process in general, she did a really excellent job. And, um, and so it was there that I practiced um, naming myself bisexual and um, and mustered the courage to come out to my family.
0: How did that said, go?
1: <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's funny. My sister got pregnant out of wedlock, like, two months before I was ready to come out to my parents. And so so when I sat them down and and said, you know, I have something to tell you and and I said, I'm I'm by, my mom's first reaction was, oh thank God you're not pregnant. So uh, gratitude to your sister yeah i know <laughs> so no it, it was it was rough for them at first i mean she they um <clears throat> both my parents are pretty liberal-minded people you know my mom um was, did some activism during the civil rights movement um my dad was in a integrated fraternity house in the 60s and you know so they they had um, pretty, they were pretty, um, they had strong values that they lived by. And yet the whole, um, homosexuality, bisexuality, especially was a alien world to them. And so, um, so it was, it was a little rough at first. I mean, their, their immediate reaction is we don't understand this, but we will always love you. Mm. And, um, And then clearly my dad, I was living in Minnesota at that point, they were still in New York. And clearly my dad was um, educating himself because he would send me clippings from the New York Times of anything related to gay or lesbian activism. Um, So that was his way of supporting me. My mother had a much harder time of it, I think because Uh, she was so much more involved in the church and so afraid of the church's reaction. Mm -hmm. So it took her about two years before she came out as a mom to the congregation that I grew up in, which was a really small dying church um, full of, you know, there's something about small dying churches that sometimes they're just really, open because (laughs) they don't have anything to lose. And this, this church was like that. They were really, um, loving, welcoming people. So my mom mustered up the courage to say that I was bisexual and, um, and they just rallied around her, really supported her. And, um, and became a reconciling congregation because of it. So, so that was really a beautiful process. And then, oddly enough, my mom, that that work and just the thought that the United Methodist Church was, you know, still so discriminatory against um, the queer community, and um, you know, it still doesn't openly ordain gay and lesbian mm-hmm. people. Um, and actually is split internationally now because of this issue. So in any case, my mom was so distraught by all that that she became a a big activist for the reconciling movement and eventually was on the board of the Parents Reconciling Network. She often (laughs) would show up at United Methodist General Conferences with this big sign around her neck saying my child is of sacred worth you know? <laughs> um, so um and and she had more fun as part of that you know like i think she would go out to <laughs> to the gay bars with the staff after meetings and um and just laughed she she said she laughed more as part of that um organization organization than she'd ever laughed in her life oh. So, so she really ended up blossoming, um, as a, as an activist more so than I ever have. I've kind of (laughs) stuck my, to my path of being the writer and Mm -hmm. doing my activism that way, but she really did a lot of work. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the rainbow stoles that Mm -hmm. that's part of a, it's a, um, uh, movement to support GLBTQA, um, ordination in the United Methodist Church is to wear these rainbow stoles. Well, my mom was the initiate, my mom was a major seamstress and she was one of the initiators of the whole movement. So she, you know, would order dozens of bolts of fabric and ship them to seamstresses all over the country to get them sewing these stoles. Uh, um so you know how fortunate am i to have that kind of support in the end it's really a a tremendous like kind of unfathomable gift really yeah Um, well and i
0: i love the fact that you you were able to acknowledge your truth in a church and in a church that wasn't you know globally reconciled at the time or now, that that is just amazing. We had just had a guest that came out of the United Methodist Church and it was so painful. And it is in our little community too that there's a couple of churches here and one definitely is not gonna be reconciling, I don't think. The other one is is holding on, has a great pastor that has created so much um, diversity, in herself and with others and and so I'm, I'm very hopeful that that church will be able to survive what's going to happen um so that's that is beautiful and i'm glad that you're you're in a place where you you have memories of growing up in the church and you have memories of not always understanding like <laughs> what does this have to do with how my mystic body feels <laughs> but <laughs> But it, overall it was affirming and um, it sounds like as, as you got older and you were able to put it together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I've heard, I, I know so many queer people's experiences is, are not my own. Right? <laughs> uh, the vast majority are not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in some ways I then feel some responsibility to, um, you know, it's fairly easy for me to step up and tell my story. It's fairly easy for me to come out because I have so many people supporting me. Um, And especially when your parents support you, it's like, that's a real strong foundation. So so because of that, I've been pretty adamant about, you know, I, I never teach a class of writers (laughs) without coming out and Mm -hmm. um and i'm super excited that this memoir is going to be out in the world a second time because it just you know it's hopefully is paving the way for more understanding about bisexuality and Mm -hmm. um just more space for open conversation
0: yeah so so you wrote um your your book 22 years ago well, did it come out first 22 years ago swinging on the garden gate
1: right it came out 22 years ago but it i wrote it um throughout my whole coming out process in my 20s mm-hmm. so so that's another dimension of my coming yeah. out story is like actually the first place i came out was on the page and um and that's you know the introverts i'll just write that's it, awesome, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. So we, we come out in the journal and, um, and that's actually how I, I came out to my parents was like, I'm bisexual here. Read my story. (laughs) So, um, and then my mom's like, you got the details wrong, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) But yeah, it's so. So the the privacy of the page, both in the journal and then in the memoir, was really the place where I could ask the hard questions and and explore and and do the hard work of coming out to myself, which you know involves going back through your whole past mm-hmm. and and rewriting it in a way. You know, it's like oh, I always thought that. Meryl Kaplan, who was in my art class, I always thought she was just so wonderful because she had such a great imagination. And <laughs> oh, it turns out that I really had a crush on her. Or yes. you know, I always thought that I loved going to the Andrew Wyeth exhibits of you know the you know his romantic the Helga paintings. You know his romantic Helga portraits, where the, she's looking off into the woods and. <laughs> you know actually it was not the paintings that I was so interested in you know so to kind of do that that Mm -hmm. revising um took took a long time and um and writing a book was the perfect medium for me to do that work in Mm -hmm. so in any case it took me it took me about eight years to write that book and I was 30-ish when it came out um, in the year 2000 so the process of that opened you up
0: and then your mom says, well, you got the details wrong. <laughs> That's always so funny. I know, I know in the writing of the memoir I'm doing now, um, I make a statement, even though it's not finished, I make a statement early on that, you know, these are my memories and, you know, whether they they are remembered the same way for other people who may have been in there at the time, you know, if you want to write your own book, basically go ahead and do it because <laughs> I'm right by it because it is our memories and it is our way to process it through so what was the besides coming out what do you think was the biggest relief that you got out of writing the book how did it evolve for you personally as far as um going back and and unraveling all of that and coming to to what release for you
1: the Biggest thing, you know, other than coming out, coming mm-hmm. out was significant about mm-hmm. that book, but, but I think I also invited me into a more, um, integrated selfhood, um, which is what coming out does, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but there was something about writing the book where I had to take all of these memories and piece them together and, find continuity between them. Um, So the book also tells stories about um, losing my infant nephew and a fire that I experienced that destroyed all my belongings and, um, and so, In a way, the book invited me to think beyond just coming out into the question, what does it mean to be in a body, a mortal body? What does it mean to suffer, to lose things, Mm -hmm. um, to lose loved ones, and broadened it into a question of incarnation, you know, what does it mean to be both body and spirit and um, to be... This human flesh that's infused with spirit. What does it mean to be incarnate? And um and what does it mean to follow a faith where um where God becomes human? And um so but, you know, those are big kind of yeah. big questions. And yeah. um and I, the how the book allowed me to ask those bigger questions and put my coming out story in the context of a bigger question so in in terms of like it 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 invited me into this more integrated worldview I guess Mm -hmm. um where I I could kind of piece it all together and say oh well this is really what I believe and this is this is kind of the selfhood that I'm being invited into um, Mm -hmm. through coming out yeah.
0: Well, and, no, and makes I'm, it makes perfect sense. It does. And I'm, I'm sorry that nobody else could tell, but I, my startle response occurred during the telling of all of that, because we just got a huge thunder boom here. Oh, so, <laughs> and I, I have a startle response. So, um, so we are, we are going to continue the interview. I think we're going to be fine, but just so in case the listeners, uh, hear weird things or we cut out we'll just make do but we'll continue and I'll try not to scream (laughs) (laughs) well the interesting part of what you said about all that is that that I was very taken when I was reading your book and and how deeply connected you were to god even though you didn't have all the answers growing up and that it it was such a grounding for you which i admired greatly and a little bit teeny tiny maybe a whole lot envious of so you know with all of the the different things in the bible it, how did how did your parents especially your mother as you said that she was more into the church and she had the teachings of the church How did you reconcile the parts of the Bible that seemed to be condemning who you were coming into being? And how do you, how do you reconcile that
1: now? Just a a little bit more about my background. My mother was seminary educated and, um, and so she was pretty sophisticated around her scripture. Um, she also was, she really downplayed scripture too. So, so the Bible was not very present in my childhood, um, and at church, I never heard any condemn, condemnation of homosexuality in church. So, nor did I ever hear those passages read in church. So, um, so mine was kind of a, a milk toast, liberal, Mamby Pamby, <laughs> white <laughs> Protestant upbringing. That, um, that did not tread on dangerous territory. Okay. That said, there was definitely this, you know, there was no question in my mind that homosexuality was sinful too. So, so where that came from, I don't honestly know. And in fact, the only moment I can point to is, um, I, I write about in the book, it was a moment where my mother was cooking in the kitchen and I, I don't know what, prompted her to say say this but we we had neighbors on the north who were um two women and we had neighbors on the south who were two men and she made the comment we're surrounded by them um <laughs> and of course like we took christmas cookies to both neighbors every year so it wasn't like we avoided them but they were them right mm-hmm. so um that was the only hint of my mother's awareness of homosexuality in my whole upbringing so most of what um, I kind of took in by osmosis mm-hmm. around judgment around mm-hmm. homosexuality, came it came through the ether. It did not come overtly. Mm-hmm. You know, it came through kids calling each other, you know, gay at, at school as a insult or mm-hmm. you know. Um, <clears throat> so so I really didn't have to grapple with it at all growing up. And, um, and only when I started to become more conscious of, um, different theology and how, how the Bible can be interpreted differently in college, um, did, did I kind of come into some consciousness of, oh, there are, there are different ways to understand these biblical passages and, I didn't have to, <laughs> you know. I I was eating pork on Fridays. It was <laughs> like <laughs> I was following, you know, uh, uh, any sort of strict biblical formula. So I think my initial way of grappling with it was to say, "Well, those passages are, passages are wrong, or mm-hmm. they're they don't apply today, mm-hmm. or the like." Um, and and my mother was definitely of, you know. She was a feminist too, right? So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like she was teaching me to obey my husband. Um, <laughs> so, so, so we definitely had a, a more liberal interpretation in terms of how I grapple with them today. I, um, I, one of my teachers is Richard Rohr, and uh. I, right now I consider myself a, a contemplative Christian, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, Richard teaches what he calls the Jesus hermeneutic, which is to read the Bible as though through Jesus's eyes. And, um, and that's generally a a good practice in my book that um, the Bible teaches is so contextual to its period in history and, um, and to, (laughs) you know, the the men who are writing it and Mm um and Mm -hmm. that what um we can make of it you know it's it's not (laughs) a law written in stone it's a human Mm -hmm. document that is Mm -hmm. is um has sacred inspiration as do many many texts including our own stories um and that when we bring the lens of Jesus's love, you know, to that text, um, that's, that's where it is true and comes alive. So that's how I have, um, landed.
0: I love that. And I, I did not grow up in a church where we looked through the lens of Jesus, <laughs> not at all. And so it's it, it's interesting now that I I have found myself in the Episcopal Church, and it is completely different from how I was raised. When I when I look at people saying, "Oh, well this this is just a, a parable," or "This is just you know a story," and I think, "Oh, well." well Okay, so, and it really started to freak me out because it's like, take everything that you learned in church and take the, the, the BA in theology that you got in college and just throw it over here because none of that matters. <laughs> it's just interesting that, that you can grow up one way. It, it's almost like when I was growing up in the South and then, and I went to uh, Massachusetts for college and just going from living in the South to going up north, it was like somebody opened up the blinds and said, look, there really are other people out there that have other thoughts and ideas and beliefs about things. And the, the, the simplest way I can put it is like at church, when we would go to church on Sunday, all the men were on the front steps smoking. And then we would go into church In, and we never drank at all because liquor is evil and sinful. I went to New England. And no one smoked. I mean, I'm sure they did, but they weren't hanging out on the front steps of church smoking. But they did drink. And I went to a church and had (laughs) communion and there was like actual wine. And I did not know there would be. (laughs) Because, you know, it's not in the little glass with the grape juice that you pass down the aisle and hope to God nobody drops that thing. (laughs) And it was like, it it just was so interesting to know that we think we've got it all together. And we think we know all the answers, but yet it's so much broader than mm-hmm. if you never move away, if you don't ever get out of your home state no. <laughs> and go somewhere else, you just don't understand how much different it could be. And yeah. I love Richard Rohr as well. I've just I've just found him recently and love his morning meditations, and they just seem so so open. And yeah. I, I love them too. So I'm glad you brought him up. And I like that how you You put Jesus's lens on that because I hadn't heard it that way, Um, but I'm I'm beginning to immerse myself in the belief that that the Bible can be a kinder and gentler place.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, you know, the process that you described of, of going from the South to the North in a way, it's a coming out process, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. like we, we put ourselves in these boxes Mm -hmm. or, or we just naturally are in these little boxes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was in the little box of my heterosexual self until like something said, Oh, wait a minute, there's such a thing as bisexuality. And so this attraction that you feel to men, um, is true, and at the same time, you could be attracted to this whole array of other people out there. Um, so so like that just like exploded open my box. And, and what um, what I'm so grateful for about the coming out process is that it taught me that this is what the spiritual path is, is like constantly breaking out of these boxes that are not true that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And, um, and isn't that, I mean, it's a, it's a hard process because it means um, that, you know, everything that feels safe Mm -hmm. and kind of keeps us, you know, is is our sense of normalcy Mm -hmm. uh, keeps us protected. Um, It's exploded open, right? We have to find a new, a new place of safety, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it's also just so exciting because it means that like there's there's always more boxes to break out of because we're constantly um making assumptions about who we are who other people are who god is that aren't true and so um that process of of like coming into a bigger world Mm -hmm. getting a bigger perspective it's Mm -hmm. always it's always unfolding and um That's really exciting. It is exciting because,
0: because when we feel like we're stuck, there are no possibilities. And if we think it's only this box, we never can grow with God. At all, because God's not, I I do believe that as long as we're still above ground and still breathing, God is not done with us. I believe that our jobs are done when we cross over and then we may not be done. For all I know, we may circle back around for round two. I don't, (laughs) I don't know, but (laughs) I'm open to all possibilities. Somebody said to me one time, you cannot be Christian and believe in reincarnation. And I said, you tell me who made God, and then you can have that point of view. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because because you know, that there are no real definite answers or definitive answers until we've been to the other side. And um, and so a friend uh called me yesterday and, and just had this mind-blowing epiphany of her life. And she said, I, I can't believe that I have lived this long and I have this truth, and this is my truth, and now this is like completely unshattered everything I've believed. And I said, Well that means a shift is happening my friend and that shift is going to take you to a different spiritual level but it's also exciting that we are not done and we can continue to grow and move and have that being with god
1: even though we don't know what it's going to
0: be it's going to be something
1: yeah absolutely and i love i love that you know god is mystery right and yeah. so and and we can never fully encompass that so so the journey toward God is just a journey into wider and wider mystery (laughs) beyond beyond so so you know it's like that Mark Twain saying that the older he gets the (laughs) it was what is it like his the kid thinks that the older you are the stupider you are but in fact I I don't know I'm I'm not representing it well but but we, yeah. we do know, le- I mean, I think that's part of the trajectory is that we know less and less. Yes. The more the- we think
0: we know, the less we know or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. And, and the, you know, I always, I, I err on the side of, I want the final answer. <laughs> I, w- I always wanted everything to be in a box. I wanted to know everything. And even at, at four, I don't know, it must've been four and a half, five, Ish, when I asked my minister grandfather who made God, and he sent me to bed. And because he didn't know, so (laughs) that was the easiest way to get me out of there. But I had these questions so young as to how did this work? And you know, I'm now 63 and I still don't know who made God, and I'm getting more and more okay with that. Still would like to know how it all worked out, but um, it is that it is that mystery that also allows me to continue to grow and expand, and know that because there are no definitive answers and God is a mystery, that in that mystery there are going to be revelations. Yeah, there are Mm -hmm. going to be things that I learn about myself, and and people are going to grow in ways that if we stayed in the box or if we had all the answers, we wouldn't expand. If we were only taught this, and that's why I believe all religions are so relative because we have to, we have to know that there is a piece of God in all of it, all of it. And so there is no, in my mind, there are no wrong religions. There are just people who may have a little bit more love going in it (laughs) (laughs) and some that don't, but you know, I think there's a piece of God in all of it because it wouldn't be here if there wasn't.
1: Well, and also it, I mean, what is God? And you know, like we don't know. We but know. the closest I think that we can come is love or justice or exactly. truth, right? And and those those things are things everyone knows. They're mm-hmm. they're like um and they take a particular form in Christianity, which has been really it's been my path. Um, but it's you know, if it were the only path that puts God in a box, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and love is so much bigger than what Christianity can encompass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't pretend to think that we have
0: the final answer on all of that. You know, and that that there's, I think there is love in all, all religions, but people are on the extreme side of that from time to time. And even in Christianity, you and I both know that there is not always love in Christianity. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Especially now. So that makes me wonder. So when you wrote this book, all those many years ago, and it got published all those many years ago, and now it's in its second edition, what has changed through, (laughs) you know, when you, when you take it, you say, okay, I'm writing it for this time in my life in this period. And now here we are all these many years later, what's been the transformation of that book? And how do you think it's different or more relevant or the same? How, what do you think has been the trajectory of this book?
1: Oh, because on the surface, it seems like so much is better for the queer community. I mean, we can legally get married and, um, you know, maybe the Methodist Church still isn't ordaining <laughs> lesbian by trans people, but um, there are denominations that are and, you um, so, and, you know, there's TV shows that have queer characters and, um, and, oh my goodness, I have a 13 year old, you should see the scene, at uh, you know, the, the scene around gender and, you know, a, sexual identity exploration that in, in an inner city school mm. is just stunning how <laughs> free these kids are. And, and, you know, to name their own identity um, mm-hmm. and to explore. It's really tremendous. So on the one hand, yeah, a lot has changed. A lot's mm-hmm. opened up. But um, but it's interesting because while that's the case, I think the schism between the GLBT community and the faith community has only widened in the intervening time. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, um, yes, there are inclusive communities, Christian communities, but um, but that's not the dominant narrative. I mean, the dominant narrative is conservative Christianity and, and the majority of people who grow up in strong Christian um, households understand homosexuality to be a sin, understand a punitive, judgmental God, and um, <clears throat> so, so on the other hand, you know, the GLBT community is just written off faith entirely. Like, you know, it's become um, incredibly secular. Um, and so, so actually, uh, um, an experience that I had maybe four or five years ago, I, uh, I was asked to do um, to visit with a couple of tier uh, Wisconsin public colleges. Um, they had, you know, a queer group on campus and, and I was invited to a couple different campuses to speak. Um, so I was talking about swinging on the garden gate and, and in both places I had these 20 something, actually there might've even been younger, um, um, members of the audience who asked me these heart wrenching questions, like, "Is it possible to be gay, and, gay and spiritual?" and um, and I was just floored that like like these two things lived in you know not not even Christian. Is it possible to be gay and spiritual? That that they were so separate from each other that that these kids were unable to hold them both in the same place. And um, it just made me want to cry. Know. <laughs> it was just know. so wrenching. Um, so, you know, the, this idea that um, that because of um, our body, because of our gender, because of our sexual orientation, we would assume that we were excluded from this basic human dimension <laughs> mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I would even call our fundamental human dimension that we are spirit inhabiting these bodies mm-hmm. temporarily um, so 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 this fundamental dimension they were shut out from um, and that you know it was those comments honestly that made me determine to reprint this book um, and because I, um, I just wanted to say, not only yes, you can be both queer and spiritual, but I would argue that because you are queer, you are have this have very special gifts of connection mm-hmm. to spirit that our world desperately needs. Um, I you know, I was really influenced by um, liberation theology in college and um, kind of this, movement that was really strong in Central America in the 60s and 70s liberation movement where um, where the um, people believe that you know our God is a God of the oppressed and that that God always takes the side of the suffering the sufferers the poor the the grieving and um, and I think that Queer people, by virtue of being social outcasts, and even today we are to some degree, mm-hmm. um, that by virtue of that we know what it is like to be on the margins, and that if we're able to open our hearts on the margins, and you know, have humility and um, and be receptive to grace that that's where, that's where the divine is at work. Okay. So, so I really, you know, it's like, you kids, you have, you you are spirit, you are spirit, and you have a responsibility to nurture that in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and don't let anyone <laughs> tell you otherwise. And maybe, you know, the faith of your upbringing is, it, upbringing is no longer the right path for you but find your path because yeah. it's critical to to your well-being as a human well and i i totally agree with you i think that that we each hold a torch for
0: each other because the light that we were supposed to get in the church to bring us to god actually banned us from god and that torch and that's why I tell people when you guys come on and you tell your stories that's a torch that's been lit for someone else to see because everything else was extinguished with the condemnation of homosexuals in the church and now even though everybody like in your child's school it's like we can be anything we want but nobody's talking about church and kids aren't going to church because church is is the place where we've never been accepted. And and yet still, it would take a lot of chutzpah for a kid to walk into church fully gay in their full identity and feel welcome. In most churches, and you're right, and especially in the Deep South down here, we got, we got like you said, little pockets of kind people. And I never would have believed that there was an Episcopal church in Ashboro, North Carolina, that is fully, well, I guess the Episcopal church Globally is is okay, but I wouldn't have known it. I never would have believed it if you had told me <laughs> that they were. But um, but it it's just not a place where kids believe they can be who they are, and right. that scares me. For one thing, that the churches are going through a revolution, you know, itself. Not just the the churches that may be splitting, but when you said the old dying out churches, you know, kids aren't coming. And if kids aren't coming, the rest of us won't be going (laughs) because they won't be there. (laughs) And it's not that you have to find God in church because I totally believe, as you probably do too, is that God is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But community for me, having not been for so long because I was excommunicated from it, so to speak, um, because I don't want to go somewhere where people are praying behind my back that I'd be saved you know, nope. from nope. my homosexual sin. Now, yeah, pray for me. Go ahead, pray all day for me. But don't pray for me to change. Pray right. for me to get closer to God. Pray for me to have the strength to get through the crap that I'm going through. But anyway, so I didn't even say the word God for years and years and years because it only brought condemnation to me. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I just couldn't rectify it. And so that's why I named the Gay, the gay with God podcast the way I did, because when I could finally say the word God, uh-huh. I felt like I had reclaimed it. Yeah, nobody could take that away from me. And that's what I hope for our young people. And anybody really, I mean, I didn't come out until I was 30. So, you know, for all people, no matter how late you come out in life, there's so much baggage and homophobia that you've internalized through your experiences, whether you were in church or out of church, Um, just living in this in this United States, watching people come into office and take our rights away. right it's yeah. not like we're yeah. done we're not done no.
1: so we are not <laughs> bold, bold are sales not. out there yeah no we have a long way to go oh, really which do. which is why our, you know when i approached skinner house they said yeah we'll reprint this so we you know and and in some ways they, they, they did my editor said um she thinks that we printed the book too early and that maybe mm. the world wasn't ready for it i hope it's ready for it now we'll uh-huh. see but um, but yeah, it's it's like we do need to step up and name what's sacred for each of us. your mm-hmm. I mean, people really desperately need to name how we understand, how we experience the sacred, especially like how we embody the sacred, right? Yeah. And then um, because that helps um broaden <laughs> everyone's experience of what holiness is that yes who God is yes the the recent
0: Richard Rohr meditation that I really found relevant was the the crumbling of the formation the the bottom floor Mm -hmm. and that Christianity really is crumbling and it's just because it was set in stone so many years ago and that this faith is what is a faith but yet we're not upholding upholding the foundation and that's our job now it's like we are here to continue to build and to to show people where to where to build it and how to build it yeah. because it's it's relevant whether you worship in the woods or you worship in a building or you how, how do we get through struggles without some kind of connection to the source of all that is yeah no matter what you call it you know I don't think God has really hung up on that um, but I, I do believe that we all, have to find that grounding where do we ground ourselves you know it's you know the earth is is amazing and and all of the things that we were given to keep ourselves going through all these many generations but it is in the sacredness of the grounding of our spirit that gives us the strength to get through the tough times yeah what do you find in your spiritual practice that is most helpful for you how do you ground yourself I have two
1: primary spiritual practices. The first is writing. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's both in my journal and then whatever project I'm working on. And I call that a spiritual practice because it's something that I do daily. It's um, something that connects me to my creative source, to the creator, Mm -hmm. and it helps me come alive. So, So that's one. The other is um, I've become a real strong practitioner of contemplative Christianity. And so silence is the second one. And I practice something called centering prayer, which is a Christian form of meditation. And so I um, practice consenting to God's presence and movement within silence and, by signaling um, that intent, and, and by kind of turning away from thoughts back to that intent, um, and I'm a terrible <laughs> meditator. It's you know, I'm, I'm, it's really really hard for me. But what it's also a practice that helps me come alive, and one of the um, primary things that it does for me is help help me exercise my letting go muscle. So that, um, you know, with every letting go of thoughts and turning back to um, openness to God's presence and movement within me, every time I do that, I'm exercising my release muscle. And and I know that then when I'm in an argument, for instance, I'm better able to let go of my stubbornness in the mm-hmm. argument, or um, um, I'm better able to let go of some of those boxes that I put myself in. So it's it's this um, really, I, I can't say that sitting in silence is, um, it's not joyous necessarily, although there's <laughs> moments, it's not easy, it's usually pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do find that the practice um, helps me stay in relationship with the spirits movement through the rest of my day more mm. so than any, any other thing. So, so yeah, I'd have to say silence is the other one.
0: I love that. Uh, and and it, it, it is difficult to do. I, I did meditation for years, um, not contemplative meditation, but, you know, leaning into meditation and, and reading some of the Buddhist Practices and stuff while I was searching and um, and I, one of the the guys David G is a global meditator teacher person and he's awesome but um, I complained one time to him on he had a radio show and I called in and got in and and I said I I think I'm doing this completely wrong I said I am I am doing the mantra and planning my day at the same time Never he goes Ooh, <laughs> multitasking meditation very good very good, <laughs> Why is that good? it's not quiet <laughs> but he's like you know, just continue to lean in continue to and when you bring yourself back every time you bring yourself back you're still present you're present enough every time you congratulate yourself when you bring yourself back so I know what you're saying it's it's we're so connected to the world into the chatter into all the things that we're doing that releasing that does take practice for sure yeah. but you're yeah. right when when you get that moment in the sweet spot of silence it may just be a nanosecond but yay yay you
1: <laughs> yeah 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 no i i love the little story about thomas keating who was one of the teach initial teachers of centering prayer that he there was a a nun who they did a, a session of centering prayer and she said, oh, Thomas, like, I've had 10,000 thoughts in the last 10 minutes. And, and and he said, oh, isn't that wonderful? That's 10,000 times to consent to God's presence in you, you know? So, so it's really, it's really practice. And and Mm -hmm. that's also where, where writing has been helpful is that Mm -hmm. I know writing as a practice, you just show up every day and mm-hmm. um and and centering prayer for me is the practice mm-hmm.
0: yeah. mm, i love this conversation i just i love it love it love it and yeah. um guys I'm, I'm just telling you you need to get the book <laughs> swinging on the garden gate it is a delightful lovely book and it is just so well done Oh, well, thank um,
1: you it really it, is so well done you know, Mitch, is it okay if I read the last paragraph of the book? Yes, Kind please. of a blessing for, yes, for listeners? Please do. So um, this isn't going to give anything away. You can still read okay. <laughs> Lay your story down. Lay your story down against the white margins of a page, or lay it with low, overton- low tones into the listening ears of a friend, or lay it from the pulpit over the startled minds of the congregation. Lay your story down with your magnificent body, when you pull your chilly, chilly skin between the covers at night. In prayer lay your morning cry, a moment of bravest fear, and the sweaty rhythm of sex, and your deep love of the landscape you walk on, lay them invisibly over the world. Spread your story on the upturned soil like handfuls of seed, winter wheat, sown to send nutrients into the earth. There is this soul we all share that needs to be fed. It's aching for your story, for its emotional truths and its flights of fancy, because you must love yourself with leaps and bounds in order to have the courage to tell it. And this is what it aches for, most of all.
0: So beautiful.
1: Well, Elizabeth, I thank you so much for coming. Yeah, well, thank you, Mitch. It's really been a delight to get to chat with you.
0: Oh, and I hope our paths cross again. And guys, there are so many things that Elizabeth offers and I'm going to put the links to the, on the show page. Please, if you get your podcast anywhere other than um, Podbean, go to Podbean just once. (laughs) Get these links and connect with Elizabeth because your life will always be enhanced by what she can offer you. So thank you again. Thank you. So thank you listeners for coming back each week for subscribing and sharing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Elizabeth please go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the God of your understanding if you are authentically LGBTQIA God has always been within you even when you didn't know it You have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community. And don't forget that you can check the Facebook group Gay With God and come and join us for a monthly Faith Journey Zoom group. And if you would like a little help with your coming out Faith Journey story, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.